Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Amen. Well, we're going to teach you guys a new song tonight, so if you'd stand with us, um, we'd love to sing. We're going to start on the chorus so we can kind of sing it together and get some of the words under our belt, and then, um, and then we'll hit the song all the way through. So Whitney's going to lead us tonight, and um, let's sing this chorus together, because God is here, and we have freedom in Christ. Amen. When the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is freedom. Sing it with us. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is freedom. Come out of the dark, just as you are, into the fullness of His love. Oh, the Spirit.
for freedom. We have our freedom in you, Christ. You have died for us and given us salvation of sin, got salvation from the bondage of slavery and sin and everything evil that holds us back, God. You have given us freedom in your son. Lord, you are great, and we've gathered tonight to praise you, to lift up your name, and to say thank you. you 
I just want to tell you, this is a really powerful thing that takes place here. Um, go ahead and stay standing for a second. You can get seated here when we watch a video that explains what baptism is. But let me just tell you this. My daughter, six years old, she walked in and she said, is that, is that the water where you do the trust fall in the water? That's 100% correct. That's great theology. This is the trust fall water. This is the water where people say, I am committing my life, making a public proclamation of a personal decision. I'm committing my life to Jesus. And so we have someone that's going to be baptized, and the person who's baptizing him was baptized in this church, which is the way it should happen. And so you're going to see this take place. You're going to hear from Mike as, as he baptizes, and then we're going to continue in worship. Let me just say this. If you're here and you say, I, I want a public declaration of my faith, maybe you've never been baptized before or you've rededicated your life to Jesus to follow him and, and you're like, I haven't made that commitment, the baptism waters are open. So the baptism waters are open mean after James gets baptized, you can come in and I'll baptize you. And you go, but what about my clothes? You'll just be dripping wet. And that there's no better way to worship God the dripping wet straight out of a baptism tank. So be seated. Let's watch this video, and then we're going to do a baptism and continue to worship. You guys excited? This is an awesome thing. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to hear from Mike, who's been baptized in this church. I just want everybody to hear what you're saying. And so, and so, and then, and then we're going to worship. And let me tell you, there are things that happen spiritually whenever baptisms take place. Hey, kiddos, we welcome the kids. Can you guys welcome the kids into service? We welcome them to watch what baptism is. Anything you want to say about? Um, I'm just thankful. Uh, thank you, all of you, um, for allowing us to do this here tonight. Brother James and I have been walking together through a lot of darkness in James' life. Um, and God uses us as his vessels for his light. Um, that's why he stores his treasure in broken pots, is so the light shines through. And you may not know it, but the light that's shining out of you through your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ touches other people in a true and meaningful way. Um, and, and Brother James is here tonight being baptized into, into the kingdom of God. Uh, 
because of that light that shines. And so I encourage you to be that light in the community, be that light for everybody that's around you um, because you may not know who you're touching. And we praise, praise God. I just thank him for, the, for Brother James. I thank him for allowing me to be a part of his journey, um, culminating in, 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 in his baptism tonight and his further walk with the Lord Jesus. To him, to glory to God in Jesus' name, Amen. James, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Father and the Son. You accept the blood that He poured out for you on on Calvary as your redeeming grace. Thank you. Be baptized by Him. Praise God. said, hey, when's the next baptism service? And I said, well, I need to look at the calendar. Why? And he said, I have someone that wants to get baptized. I said, next Sunday. Next Sunday is the next baptism. Because here's what we don't do. We don't say if you, someone wants to get baptized, we don't go, you know, let's wait a few months. And you can sign up for the next class. We go, let's go to the river. Let's go to the, the horse trough. Let's do it now. So I would encourage you, if you're here and you say, I want to be baptized, I declare Jesus as my Lord, I will be right here just come tap me on the shoulder and we'll stop everything to celebrate you because heaven stops everything to celebrate you and we're going to follow what heaven does okay let's worship together let the king of my heart be the mountain where i run the fountain i drink from oh he is my song let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide the ransom for my life for oh, he is my song you are good, good. The king of my heart be the wind inside my sail, the anchor in the waves. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days. Oh, he is my song. You are good. You're good.
never gonna let me down No, no You're never gonna let Never gonna let me down You're never gonna let You're never gonna let me down No, no, no You're never gonna let Never gonna let me down Yes You're never gonna let You're never gonna let me
sing it as well one more time with me? Just close your eyes and relax for a second. It's been a long week. The person who wrote this song lost everything, wives, or wife, children, lost everything. And in the midst of losing it all, being able to say it is well. So if you're here and you're like looking at a hurricane in front of you, you got a situation in front of you that's really, it's going to overtake you. you be able to say that it is well with my soul my soul is anchored in jesus not in this world it is well with my soul it is well father there's a lot of hurricanes right in front of us and we don't know how to like do we run through them do we lay down can't go around them but we can stand here on january 28th and say it is well with my soul stand here and we can say, it is well. I can be calm in the presence of the Lord. So help us to do that, I pray. Help us, Father, to be able to concentrate on you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 27, January 27th, not 28th. For those of you who are worried that uh, it's Monday already and you're here at church, 27th. Hey, my name is Preston. Um, I'm the lead pastor here, and I just want to personally tell you we're so glad that you're here. And welcome, welcome, welcome. You are more than welcome here. Every one of you is more than welcome here. And uh, you are not a visitor because when we watch the Super Bowl next week, there's like visitors and home team, and visitors are like anti-home team. You're not a visitor. You're a guest that we want you to be part of the family. We're so glad that you're here. Here's what we're going to do. There's a connect card right in the seat back in front of you. Do you see that? There's, there's this card, and it actually says these words, connect card. So if you grab it and you write down what your prayer request is, we would love to be praying with you. And if it's your first time, this is how we get to, like, interact with you because there's no magic formula out there. No matter how hard we pray, the Lord has not told us what your phone number or email is, but a connect card will do that. So if you, uh, if you can connect. Also, you can connect online if you go discoverdenver.church. Uh, then there's a place where you can fill out an online connect card as well because so many of you are like way past filling anything else out for the rest of your life with a pen, so you can do it on your phone. We're also going to take up offerings. So can we have um, the service team come forward? 
uh, and we're going to take up offering. Let me just tell you this. We give a portion of what comes in every month. We give to church planting. And today, there are five churches that launched across the U.S., different faith communities and neighborhoods that didn't have a fresh expression of Jesus. So what you saw take place today, now, like you guys, have contributed to that happening more and more and more. Because the name of the game is multiplication. If we can see the, um, if we can see the church multiply in different places throughout uh, the, tr- the states and the world, we will see more people fall in love with Jesus than if we just tried to get everybody in this one room. You follow me? So I just want to say, in what you give, even on this day, January 27th, five faith communities have been launched. And I called one of the pastors and he said, uh, they already have people that like need to get baptized from their church. So I just want to say to you, thank you and congratulations. You are seeing disciples made just because of your generosity. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to um, pass the buckets around. You can give in different ways online and, and you can text. Now let me just encourage you as you give, giving online is a good way to make it a natural rhythm of your life, reoccurring giving. Or you can text. I know texting is a natural rhythm of your life. And so you can do that. This is your, you have permission to text in church. And then you're also going to put your connect card in the bucket. So let's pray. Father, we're so grateful. We, we ask your blessing, your blessing on James's life who is baptized tonight. Bless him. Go before him in all ways, Lord. We're so thankful for the salvation you've given us. And Lord, we're so thankful for the ability to be here and to worship, and may we know what it is to experience freedom. Use the resources given tonight to multiply your church, to multiply the efforts of your church in this city, and God, to bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and pass those around. As you're doing that, Lisa, will you come up here? Not not my Lisa. My Lisa is, is also Lisa. This is Lisa Wilkinson. Can you give her a round of applause? Let me get you a stand. Uh, Wouldn't it be weird if I preached from all the way back here? (laughs) It'd be so strange. Okay. Um, One of the things in the Doubters Club series that we've been going through is like these tough questions. One of the questions we are going to address is why does it feel like the Bible shames women? This is what a lot of the objections come forth with. But, But here's what I want to tell you. Instead of me just coming up here and saying, here's why that's not true and all this stuff, I I actually want to empower and say, like, I want a woman to preach tonight, okay? I want you to learn from someone who follows Jesus, who is a woman, who has a calling on her life, all these things, and is a really good friend. So instead of me just saying this to you, I've asked Lisa, will you just speak to them uh, on what God's laid on your heart? So I want you to welcome her. And by the way, what she's talking about tonight, will require a response of authenticity. And so if you can start now asking God, what is that response gonna be? Um, then I think that it'll be, uh, it could be a game changer. So welcome Lisa, we're so glad that you're here. Thank you. Thanks guys for having me again. And some of you may remember, I did uh, speak back it on Mother's Day of 2018 last year. I. Put a picture of, can you guys hear me okay? 
it, is it good? Okay. Um, I put a picture of my family up there. Oh, there it is. Yeah. I, okay. So, you know, I put the same picture up, but then that would be kind of redundant. But so I wanted to give you, this is like the real Wilkinson family. Um, and uh, this was us trying to take our Christmas picture. My son uh, in the middle back there holding our dog. Uh, his girlfriend was taking the picture and she was just giggling the whole time because we were just such a crazy crew. But my husband, he's here tonight, Zach, and he's actually preached here a couple times as well. And um, I've got three teenagers. And for those of you who are friends with me on Facebook, and I welcome all of you to be my friends on Facebook, so I love staying connected. Um, my youngest, the blonde Zoe, she just got a permit. So now we have three teenage drivers in the house. Uh, I, I don't even know what. Uh, uh, it's crazy, and um, I, I do not recommend getting in the car with your 15-year-old brand-new driver sitting in the back seat right before you're about to speak, public speak, because your nerves will just be shot. They'll be shot, and then you'll be like, <laughs> uh, it, it certainly did not bode well for me coming and standing in front of you all tonight. Um, my kids are going through this phase where they are wondering what they're going to be when they grow up. Do you remember that phase? What am I going to be when I grow up? Uh, I, when I was going through that phase, I was sure, I mean, I went through all the, the normal things, like I was going to be a Disney princess voice. I, I wasn't going to be a Disney princess. I was going to be their voice, like on the movies and stuff. That was a big one. Um, another one was um, I was going to be a medical missionary. Uh, that was a big one for me. Um, but, but one thing that I, I was 100% sure that I was going to do, and this was without a doubt, was that I was going to be in the ministry. And I was going to change the world for Jesus. And, I mean, you know, when I was a, a kid, that's just what was told to me all the time. You're going to change the world. I mean, we're in an audience of thousands of teenagers at a youth convention or something, and they're like, you're going to change the world for Jesus. Stand up. And we're all standing up, and we're all hyped. And then, like, you walk away, and you're like, wait, if all of us are going to change the world, man, the world should already be changed by now, don't you think? It's kind of like, you know, one of the, so life kind of, you know, happens, and, um, and I, I ended up just like going so hard after the ministry that uh, that, that was kind of like all I could really think about, and that's all I really wanted. And I met Zach. We met uh, when I was 16 years old, and we just dove headfirst headfirst into the ministry, and uh, we, we went to all different kinds of churches, and we did all kinds of different, you know, ministry things. We were youth pastors for a while, and that was really fun, by the way. Um, anybody who feels called to youth ministry, it's like, it's the pinnacle of ministry, just so you guys know. When we um, stopped being youth pastors, we did feel like we got a demotion, so just a FYI on that one. Um, it's really fun. You get to just be silly and goofy all the time and stay up all night, and that's ministry. So, um, but uh, I know, right? It sounds awesome, doesn't it? Uh, I, I, I remember this time when we came out to Colorado, because we're originally from California. And I came out to, to Colorado, our whole family of five, we had all three kids at the time. Our youngest was two, and our oldest was four. So four, three, two, yeah, do the math, it's crazy. Um, and we basically came to this really great church out here where they hired Zach as the youth pastor. And like always, the titles didn't matter. I was his partner in crime. We were just changing the world for Jesus one student at a time. And um, all of a sudden, he got a role change to, and the church was fairly large, so it's executive pastor, um, which basically meant that he was now in charge of hiring, firing, Sunday school, all that kind of stuff. Very important things, but didn't really require a partner. 
And so I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be in ministry. I'll just find another way to work for the church. So a secretary position came open, an administrative assistant, I think is what they called it. And I'm like, I'm going for it. And I went for it, and the pastor rejected me. He said, I'm sorry we can't hire you because we don't hire spouses. And I was like, uh, ouch. <laughs> and what's interesting is, like, I didn't feel at the time that I could just go work at another church, you know? Because my husband's a pastor at this really large church. They really did expect us to be there all the time. And then it suddenly hit me that I no longer had a place for ministry, at least what I knew, what I understood. And uh, enter a really uh, dark time in my life because I felt like, I mean, you know, if you are created for a purpose, for, for something, you're created for something, and you have this idea of what that looks like, and then all of a sudden it's like, nope, that's gone now. And that's kind of where I was at. And so uh, Zach and I talked about it for a while, we discussed it, and what ended up happening was instead of just staying home with the kids, which um, I was never really created to be a mom. I always say I'm not really the, the mom type, although I adore my children. I felt like I needed some human interaction in addition to my kids. If anybody, any, any, come on, any stay-at-home parents out there know what I'm talking about? Okay. And even if you're called to parenting, you need a little human interaction. And so I'm like, well, I'm just going to get out there and I'm going to get a job at Starbucks. So I got a job at Starbucks as a barista. And I was upset. It was dark for me. I was, I was depressed. I would go to church and I was, I was a little bitter. I was a little upset at the pastor for not taking me on. Like, don't you see me? Don't you want me? You know, like what, you know, some pride crept in there. I was, I was pretty upset. I worked at Starbucks for five years. It was a, a five-year desert for me. And uh, I did not step back into the ministry after that. I actually went on to work for another corporation. And um, I felt really dry. I felt like God was gone or that I, somehow I had been forgotten or the calling that he put on my life somehow was erased, diminished. Have you ever felt that before in your life where you felt maybe forgotten? Maybe you felt like God doesn't see you or maybe you're separate from God. Maybe you're just walking through a dry spell, or you remember a time when you were walking through a dry spell. We all go through that. And I want to drop in on the Israelites, because they went through a time like that. And I will say, I don't even really feel like I need to preach, because God has showed up today, and God has moved. I mean, congratulations, uh, James, for being baptized today. Where is he? I don't see him. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you guys for doing that today. I mean, I'm like, I don't even know how Lisa sang after that because I would have just been sobbing like a big old baby at right after that. Um, uh, but God does have a word for us today. Um, I really believe it. And um, I want uh, to drop in on the Israelites. So this is, um, before we look at the the first verse up there, I just want to set the stage just for a minute. So they've been in years and years and years and years of oppression. And I'm talking oppression that I would say a majority of us in this room have not experienced. I'm not saying all of us, but a majority of us. I mean, they were um, enslaved, they were uh, beaten, they were whipped, they were forced to make bricks, they had to meet a quota. It was definitely the kind of oppression that we hear about but don't necessarily experience, at least for most of us in this room. 
And uh, they were at the point where um, they were wondering themselves, where is God? Where is God in my life? It, has he forgotten us? Has he disappeared? And uh, God sends Moses, and we're talking about Moses, how God reveals himself through the life of Moses. I want to just bring us to that. And so here we are. We're dropping in there. Let's bring up the verse. And I, it's in Exodus, for those of you who like to follow along. God, they go through the plagues, right, and all the things. And, and for those of you who don't know this story, read Exodus leading up to this. It'll really blow your mind. But what you need to know for the purposes of tonight is that God brought them out of oppression with miracles. I mean, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. I mean, God is showing himself and showing himself, and he's big and he's strong and he's big and he's bigger than us and bigger than them. And they are going, they face the Red Sea, and then the Red Sea parts. The wind and waves still know his name. I love the, the song that we sang tonight. Because the Red Sea parts, and they walk across on dry land, and here we are, they were chased by the Egyptians into the sea. Of all the Egyptians who chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. That is a pretty big God that we serve. Am I right? Yeah, it's a pretty big God. And you guys can give me feedback. I'm okay with that. It's okay, a little feedback. God is a big God. Am I right? Yeah. That's right. Okay. So uh, not a single Egyptian survived. So now they are on the other side of the sea. And on the other side of the sea represents oppression. It represents a civilization that chewed them up, destroyed them, beat them down, and they are now free from that. And what's beautiful is in the next verse it says, in a couple verses later, actually in verse 31, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and his servant, Moses. So the Israelites go from a place of oppression. They go from a place of wondering, where is God? To all of a sudden, God is here. We believe. They believed. And here they are on the other, other side of the sea. They were free from the, the bricks. They were free from the whipping. In fact they actually got out of the sea and they sang and they danced and they wrote a song and they, they celebrated with everything in their beings. Again, dance like the weight has been lifted. I mean, I could just imagine them out there just shouting and dancing. I mean, they're totally and completely free and God has showed himself so huge. And I can just imagine as they're turning, looking at their past, what represented God not being there, what represented them being completely and totally forgotten, and a red sea, or the seed that represented miracle after miracle after miracle, and they turn and they face this. Just let that sink in for a minute. Now what? God takes them through miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, and they face this. But what do they do? They march on, because anything is better than that over there. Anything is better than that. 
And so they march on and they face the desert. They face the desert like it's their only way to live. And uh, there was some grumbling, there was some complaining, but they marched, they moved. And I want to give you um, a couple uh, stats. So the Bible actually says that there were uh, 603,555 men. Now, when they were recording back then, oh, you can go back one. Um, When they were recording uh, people, they just recorded the men. So scholars actually uh, think that there were approximately 1 to 2.5 million people in this caravan. Think about the line at the porta potty, am I right? That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people marching through the desert. They had a lot of needs, okay? They needed food, they needed clothing, they needed shelter, and mostly they needed water. And this is an actual picture of the desert on the other side of the sea they crossed. And um, they started walking around without water. And uh, I did a little bit of research on the effects of dehydration in the human body. And uh, the, the, body, the human body can actually go for an entire week in a comfortable environment without water. Okay, so a week. Uh, I mean, it definitely would not be my most favorite week ever, but in a comfortable environment, and I, I don't know what's defined as a comfortable environment, but my guess is not this. This is not a comfortable environment, okay? Like, you know, foraging in the, in the desert, and you know, that's not super comfortable. So the Israelites, we are coming into a spot where they're actually walking around the desert for three full days without any water right as they escape from the sea. They're grumbling. They're saying, let's go back, let's go back. At this point, they're so upset. They want to go back now to oppression, and they want to go back to, at least they fed us. At least they gave us water. Uh, Yeah, they beat us, but at least we were living. At least we were alive. And so I wanted to do a little bit of a study on the effects of dehydration. You can put that up now. You can see some things. uh, Dry mouth, chapped or dry lips, dry eyes, dry loose skin with a lack of elasticity, eczema, sunken features. Um, So it it sounded like we had a bunch of zombies out in the desert, like, oh, take us back to Egypt. And uh, I mean, these people are upset. They're dizzy. They're tired. They're confused. They're irritable. They're actually losing their appetite at this point. Burning a sensation in your stomach or ulcers feeling of an empty stomach or abdominal pain. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have experienced dehydration at this level. Um, I have experienced a tiny bit of dehydration when I did a race. I was running, and they call it runner's stomach, where apparently you don't have enough, like, electrolytes, and the water's actually flushing everything out of you, which causes your body to dehydrate. And for me, I couldn't even take on water. Like, I would drink water, and my body would completely reject it. And that was horrible, and that was tiny tiny bit of dehydration. That wasn't like three days without water. Okay, that was like a half a day, just no electrolytes. So this, I don't even know what this is like. I can't even fathom it. And that's why I had to look it up because it just seems crazy. And so they're grumbling and they're upset and they're complaining, which is interesting because they literally just came from miracle after miracle after miracle and they've already forgotten. They've already forgotten what God has done for them. They want to go back. They want the oppression. 
And as they're walking, as they're marching, it's almost like it was just in time. They come upon this. So this is actually a picture of, um, on the next slide, this is called the Oasis of Mara. I had to look it up to find it. And this is an oasis that they came upon. Now, imagine if you were experiencing the symptoms that you had already been experiencing and you see this. You're probably wondering, is it a mirage? Am I actually seeing this? Is this for real? And so they're, I mean, just a one, point, one to 2.5 million people bum-rushing this water, right? And uh, so here's, here's what happens. Let's take a look. Let's read the next scripture. When they came to the oasis of Mara, the water was too bitter to drink. Wah, wah. I mean, how bad does it have to be to have gone for water without three days and it still be too bitter? That's pretty bad. I mean, after, you've never drank like lemon water? Anybody done the fad where you put like lemon juice and apple cider vinegar and cayenne pepper in your water in the morning and drink it like a little warm that's supposed to make you like skinny? Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay. <laughs> Guess I'm the only weirdo in the house. Okay. So yeah, so I mean, that's some bitter water, but I would drink that, you know? I'm just saying like if I'm experiencing dehydration, I'm drinking whatever water you put in front of me. I don't care at this point. But this water was too bitter to drink which is pretty intense. So what do they do? Surely they remember the miracles of God. Surely they can trust and believe that God will take care of them, that maybe he even put this, they brought, he brought them to this, and he's going to find a way. But instead, this is what they do. In the very next verse, the people complained. They complained, and they turned to Moses what are we going to drink? They demanded. They're demanding. They're probably like stomping like two-year-olds, like, what are we going to drink? I need water. It's, it's really bad, guys. It's gotten really, really bad. You've got one to 2.5 million people demanding of you, what can we drink? I mean, I wonder what were they thinking? They must have thought God has forgotten us. Here they are in the desert, and the only water here they can't even drink. Does God even know I'm here? Has God brought us out here to die? But here's the thing. God had a plan. And so on the next, in the very next verse, it says, the Lord showed Moses a piece of wood. Moses threw it in the water, and this made the water good to drink. Now that's a miracle, right? I mean, when I throw wood in water, it doesn't make it good to drink. It's just, that's not the way it works. Um, I do live in Denver, and uh, I do deal with lead in my water, so I have a purification system on my fridge, and when my daughter brings me a glass of water from the sink, I'm like, ah, 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 I can tell. That came from the sinks. It's all cloudy. I need that filtrated water, girl. I'm not going to die young. But she didn't throw a piece of wood in it to make it clean. No. I wonder, could God have made that water fresh before they got there? He totally could have. Could he have brought them water way before it got to the point where they were desperate? Absolutely. Absolutely, God could have done that. Instead, he had to test them. He had to test and see, are you willing to obey? And, he, and Moses obeyed, and he threw the wood into the water. And then the people were able to drink. But he had to test to see if he was willing to obey. And then God was able to demonstrate 
his faithfulness. Because you see, God is faithful even in the desert. God is faithful even when we don't see him. God is faithful even when you're so dry you can't even drink. God is there. God is faithful. The Israelites spent 40 years wandering in the desert, and it wasn't a straight shot. God had a promise for them, the promised land. They did not go straight from Egypt, oppression, their daring escape across the sea. They did not go straight from there to the promised land. They wandered in circles in the desert for 40 years because they had to continue to learn this lesson. They were hungry, so God provided quail. Manna. They needed protein, so God provided quail. They were thirsty. And again, God miraculously provided water through a rock. Over and over and over again, God proved and showed that he was faithful to his people. So I wonder, what does this even mean for us? So we're not wandering in a literal desert, but maybe a spiritual one. Maybe you've been through a spiritual desert, and you can't even imagine or think of what could God have been doing in that time. Thank goodness I made it through, but I don't even know. I don't know what God was doing then, or maybe you're in it now, and you're barely hearing the words I'm saying. God has us go through these times, sometimes, so that we can learn to rely on him. So that we can learn and know that he is the one who has us. He can perform great miracles in our lives. And he is there. He's watching you. He's walking with you. He's even carrying you sometimes. He's just asking us to be obedient. You see, God wants to prove that he's faithful. God wants to prove to you that he's a good God. He wants you to see that in your life. And so as you're walking through the desert, I want to challenge you. You see, the Israelites that escaped from from Egypt, they all died in the desert. None of them got to see the promised land except uh, just a very select few. And uh, I wonder, I wonder if that could have been different for them. I was, um, I brought my journal, because as I, I shared earlier, I had also been going through this desert. And so I, I thought, I'm going to um, journal some things that I believe that maybe God was trying to show me in this desert that I couldn't see while I was in it. Okay, so here's a couple things I came up with. I was able to start a career. That's something I never would have had um, if I had not gone through this desert time. Um, in my current career, what I do, um, I was able to gain uh, leadership skills that I can use in the ministry that I would not have learned otherwise. So that's kind of a cool thing. I feel like that's a really great, just trying to like, I'm brainstorming here, you know, let's get a couple of great ideas. Um, on my lunch break at Starbucks, I, I, I learned how to run. 
I decided to become a runner and I lost 30 pounds. That's cool, right? I mean, that's a, that's a great, that's a win in the desert. Lost 30 pounds, that's cool. Um, uh, during that time in the desert, I actually met quite a few people who had never actually been introduced to a Jesus-looking God. Never would have walked into a church, but definitely would have walked into a Starbucks or worked at a Starbucks. I actually had a boss, uh, his name was Louie, and he, um, actually, Louie wasn't there at the time, it was Armando. He, he actually, um, he publicly asked me not to talk so much about Jesus, like, please, this is, your, this is you officially getting in trouble, you're not allowed to talk about God um, at work, you know, separation in church and state, which is obviously is a misuse of the term anyway, but um, <laughs> don't, don't get me started. Um, <laughs> but um, what he said privately, he pulled me to the back and he said, you can talk about Jesus as much as you want. I will never write you up for it. And so suddenly, I had this underground, like, missionary, like, I'm, like, preaching to, you know, I'm not really, like, overtly preaching, but um, we actually had two, two of my friends, my new friends at Starbucks, got saved during that time. Um, one of them became a missionary to the Philippines. Like, what? And this is supposedly my time not in ministry. You know, like, I mean, God was doing some things in my desert that I couldn't even see. I couldn't even like, oh, I'm not in the ministry. Oh, I was in the, but so in the ministry. I was so entrenched in the work of God, I couldn't even tell that I was doing it. And um, because I had this outside source of income now, um, our family was actually able to uh, go up and plant a church up in Boulder County, um, which we wouldn't have been able to take that step of faith if I was an um, admin at a church. So God had some bigger plans for me than I ever could have dreamed. I, was, I, I fought kicking and screaming all the way. I was bitter. I was angry. But God was doing something huge. I really had to latch on to that. I really had to believe in that. You see, the Israelites remind us to look at the big picture. And they reminded me for sure. God had some bigger plans in my life, and he had a big plan for the Israelites. So here's what I want you to do tonight. Go ahead and just close your eyes. I want you to think about a desert time in your life. Maybe it's now. Put yourself there. Think about how you feel. Think about the things that are happening, the things that aren't happening, the things you wish would happen. Maybe it's in the past and you're trying to make sense of it all. Put yourself in that spot. How'd you show up at that time? How are you showing up if it's now? Now what I want you to do is imagine with me what kind of person you could be in that desert if you believed and trusted that God is faithful and he has a plan and he's working it out in you right now. 
how would you show up if you knew at the end that God's will was done? What would be different? You can open your eyes if you want. God is speaking to some people in here tonight. I have this um, necklace. It's a little jar. It's got some sand in it. It reminds me of desert time. And it's got a little piece of wood in there reminds me that God God has a plan he's uh, provided a way he's thinking ahead whenever I find myself in a desert I can just look at this little vial and say you know what God's bigger than this God knows what he's doing and I can stand up and I can walk knowing that God is faithful. If he were to whisper to you now, he would say, I am faithful. And so tonight for our time of prayer, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray and um, people go to the sides and pray. Um, what I'd like for everyone to do, if, if, if you're able, and if not, find a buddy who can do this for you. But in the front here, I have um, some vials for each of you. And I have a little jar that has some sand in it and a piece of wood to help you remember that God's there with you in that desert. He's not gonna leave you, he's there. I've got one for each of you, so come down to the front. I want everyone to take one. Even if you're feeling right now, I don't want that. That might mean you're in a desert. But God is there for you. And he's faithful. And then when you go to pray, if you decide that you want to go to the sides and pray, I want you to share with the person you're praying with maybe what you're going through and ask them to help you see God in this desert time in your life. Help them see the pieces of wood that God is using miraculously in your life, that God would open your eyes to see that. So go ahead and stand up and you guys can come down here and we're gonna go ahead and do another song right now.